Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. We are glad to be back on the things we say for another topical podcast that will be completely random. (laughs) And riveting for all involved. We're not sure what the topic is exactly. We never are most of the time. (laughs) It's okay. This episode will have a title by the time we get it out. That's right. Um, We'd like to welcome Ross to the podcast. You want to jump right in there, Ross? Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you both for having me. Um, what's your last name? Where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Cincinnati. My last name is Norris. There which, uh, his biggest claim to fame is the fact that he is my cousin. And that is... <laughs> if that's sure. your biggest claim to fame. <laughs> well, so, at least in this room. Right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I used to tell kids in elementary school that Chuck Norris was my uncle. Oh, yeah. But that was back in the 80s when he was doing more. Yeah, and when so he, like, it meant yeah. more. Although he did just become the spokesperson for Glock, which I think is wonderful. I think if there were a human that now basically... Now that he's old and can't roundhouse kick people to the face, <laughs> I actually he needs think he still Glock. can roundhouse, roundhouse kick people to the face. But he's basically the human equivalent of a Glock. So I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> it's, it's all right. It's all right. Oh, geez. But yeah, my cousin Ross, who is uh, the uh, writer, producer, and host and creator of a podcast called... The Singularity Saints podcast. Which we have referenced a time or two on here. Which That's I right. very much appreciate. Yes, yes. So uh, if you if you listen to us uh, and at least are remotely interested in the things that I say, check out Ross. He's smarter than me and better researched and better read. So uh, <laughs> he, he has a lot more interesting things to say than I do that are far less ranty. So uh, give, oh, him a, give him I, a check out. I can rant if you give me time. Oh, I know. It's, it's, the, Norris, it's the Norris gene. We know. We know this. We we were just discussing before we came on the process that goes into these podcasts. Um, me and Nate have a process, but it's more developed out of conversations that we have off the air, and right. then they go on the air. Right. Sometimes we'll even delay in-person conversations <laughs> so that we can have them on the air, and right. it's like, this has to be something that we let other people into. And that's really where this podcast grew out of. It was... We had a number of discussions that I'm like, if we don't record these, no one else is ever going to hear yeah. them. And we feel like that would be a shame. Well, so it's sure. kind of it's kind of funny because I, I actually went back and started with episode one, started listening to our podcasts over again. I don't know that I will well, ever do that. It's interesting because our interaction is so different. And I thought to myself, how much better we have gotten to know each other just by doing this. I mean, we were friends before. Right. We've become very, very good friends as a result of doing this and being around each other regularly. Well, so, we have a standing once a week date that's so right. that's oh, more than that's i have with my wife it. that's right so. that's true <laughs> me too that's sad oh, oh man now man. i need now i feel like i need to rethink my life <laughs> anyway you're only waiting until now <laughs> no i mean just again it, it happens frequently. i mean we do share a bed every night but not me and you no no you no, and your me wife. And my wife yes so she has that in her category it's not a once a week for two hours so yeah i don't know. share a bed with my wife every night because she works night shift yeah two nights a week 
So yeah, maybe I do need to rethink my life. Apparently, <laughs> at least she tells me that's what she's doing. I know she goes somewhere for twelve hours on two nights a week. Uh oh, you're in I'm trouble. So, I'm sorry, Kayla. start backing up. I'm sorry. You okay. mean she's fighting crime? That's right. She's Batman, <laughs> except yeah. a woman and pregnant. Batwoman. Currently, <laughs> I wouldn't want to mess with a pregnant woman. No, they'll hurt you. No. Yeah. And and. Especially like first time pregnant women because uh, they don't understand the mama bear gene that's taking over. And yeah, yeah there's no mitigation to that rage on the early stages yeah, of that. That's very true. Yeah, it's like this is my logical brain telling me <laughs> things and I'm going to follow it like it's completely logical. Oh man. And it's not. <gasps> but that's not why we're here. No. Uh, I actually wanted to hear Ross's process a little bit. Like when you go into your podcast, we're. We bounce ideas off of each other. It's more conversational. There's two of us. How I mean, do you, <laughs> how do you prepare for a podcast? How do you come up with topics? What is your well? And process let me, okay. like? that's a good question. But let me. Can I give a, a, a oh, quick yeah. first first hey, question? Hey, your show, your rules. Um, okay, that's dangerous. Um, can you just kind of give us a, a bit of a synopsis of what Singularity Saints is? Because from the title, most people would have no idea what that is. Okay, sure. Um, so it's an emphasis on emerging technology, and and by that I mean like major emerging technologies, not like the next version of iPhone or anything like that, but the technologies that are likely coming in the next few decades that are going to drastically change the way we do things. And I mean, some of them, they will, if they come to pass, will literally change what it means to be human. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of biology, cognitive ability, um, you know, if you have a computer inside your head, yeah. that's going to change what it means in your day-to-day life to do everything. But all of these things, I think, have implications, challenges for for faith. And you know, I would talk to people and just mention these these various things, and I would get these weird looks because they, I mean, unless you're interested in that sort of a thing, you don't hear about it, right? And you know, either people are saying, well, you know, that's never going to happen. That's just science fiction or, or whatever, except that these are actually things that people are working on and, and reputable people in these fields are saying these will eventually come to pass in, in one way or another. Well, And, and we have to do something about the it. The concept is being done, like Black Mirror is doing some of that, yes. where they're taking, they're taking technology and pushing it to its nth degree and basically trying to say this is what it would look like, but they're not doing it with any... Uh, morality at all attached oh, to yeah. it. So it's like, okay, if we remove the church and people from their moral uh, moorings, how, yeah. what does that look like mm-hmm. when when we introduce this technology and push it, turn yeah. it all the way up to 11? Oh, what yeah. does it do? Because we'll abuse anything. I mean, you give right. humanity anything and we'll, we'll abuse it. And that's and, been my problem with Black Mirror in some of the episodes that I've seen. It's like, Man, okay, I see what you guys are doing here, and you're warning us about technology and stuff. But you're not, you're not intro, you're you're showing people having moral struggle, but not from a Christian perspective. Not from you know they're they're divorced from all the other things that we know more culture to our yeah to mm-hmm. our core principles and that type of thing. So yeah, it's like this isn't quite a logical next step, which is why I think what oh, yeah. you're doing there is important. Oh, thank you. So, Yeah, it, Black Mirror, it's fascinating because it does. It takes those very ideas. Yeah. And, and some of those things, like it, there's an extra kind of scariness to it because some of those things are things that they're saying are, are coming. But they use them in ways that we probably wouldn't use them. 
Um, but that's just because it creates drama and it creates a more interesting episode. Right. But yeah. I still haven't but, seen yeah. Black Mirror. I'm very ashamed to yeah. say. Skip the first episode and watch watch the others. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would just proceed with caution. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's. There's quite a bit of adult content. Okay. Uh, for fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. And you can find that by reading any review anywhere. True. But uh, True. yeah. So the first episode is designed to shock you. Yeah. Let's and, put it. That and that's way. all it does. Yeah. It, it yeah. doesn't present any kind of real question or, or anything like that. Yeah, the others no, do. No specific technology that you're using. It's basically just terrorism and mm. it's designed to shock, but it's also designed to get headlines for the show. The show. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Anyway, we're not here to discuss oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> so that being said, um, your format is very, very different from ours, like Sheldon mm-hmm. was saying. So uh, kind of explain your format a little bit versus ours and what your process has been and really why why did you decide to do this? I mean, I, again, you've, you've talked about what it is you do, but why? I want to know the yeah. why behind well, it. Well, I mean, like I said, I would talk to people and they would have no idea what I was talking about. And, you know, you don't want to end up in a position where something gets developed and then after the fact you have to make a decision about what do we say about this? And, and yeah. obviously, you know, you're talking about all different denominations and so there's not one singular voice that's going to come in and say, well, this is the one Christian answer for it. Um, but, I mean, if we think about these things now, we're prepared to work through those things. We're prepared to, um, you know, advise our friends and family on on what they should be thinking about, whether or not certain things you know, could be used in a moral way, an immoral way, and all of that. So I would have those conversations, and I, I finally just decided this needs to be talked about. And I would hear other places mention it, and they would always say, you know, we need to talk about this. We need to think about this. <laughs> and then, and then they move on to the next thing, and yeah, it's like, well, right. yes, we should talk about this. We should think about it. So let, let's do it. Um, so, yeah, that's why I, why okay. I did that. And, I mean, and I just find it fascinating the technology aspect fascinating anyway, so it's yeah. just kind of fun to talk about. So talk a little bit about your process then and, and what doing a podcast looks like for you versus what what we're doing. Okay. Um, yeah, I actually, I kind of envy the fact that you guys can can play off of each other because I'm, I'm just there alone. Um, with your cup of Earl Grey tea. Yes, with my cup of Earl, Earl Grey tea, <laughs> uh, which I do actually have. Like, that's not just a thing that I say <laughs> because it's like a catchphrase. I'm actually drinking... Uh, Earl Grey tea. It's usually cold by the time I'm done. Yes, but, of course. But it is there. Um, and I edit out the sipping sounds because nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. Um, so it sounds like you take quite a bit of time. I mean, and oh, yeah. in preparation and also going back through and editing everything. Yeah, it. my original plan was to do once a week. And then that just became not... Uh, that, that was just something I couldn't do consistently. So now I'm kind of to, to every two weeks. And even then, I'm sometimes behind on that. So when I first started, I drew up this list of things that I wanted to talk about. And I knew that some of them I would have to come back to because I couldn't say everything that needed to be said uh, in just one, one episode. And frankly, there's even a few episodes that I just said a lot and I had to split them, split yeah. them in half. Um, so I had this list and I continue to add to it when I think about things. But there is always this feeling as I move through that list that I'm going to run out of things to say. Mm, right. But every time I do that, I'll read something new or I'll hear about something and I'll have an idea. Oh, well, okay, write that down because I'm going to have to talk about that. So I haven't run out of anything anything yet, but I'll make an outline of, of different things I want to talk about. Just pick whatever seems most interesting to me at any given time. And, and then I'll just research that one in terms of, you know, 
trying to find the most recent information, looking up articles on examples and, and all of that, put together information about it, and then I'll kind of do some reflection on, you know, what this could mean for us ethically, you know, if there's any theological implications for yeah. it. So I have an outline when I, when I go in to record. And you are the only researcher. For, I mean, you're the only one that does all of it. There's yes. nobody else doing research, nobody else doing It is me in my home it. office with my laptop. Yes, when your children are sleeping. Yes, yeah, I will right. go late into the night because it's the only time my house is quiet. <laughs> that would be intimidating to me because I don't talk to myself at all. Yeah, no, you like, don't. And like if Jess is gone for two days, those are two days I spend in silence. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I like I that you guys can even, play off of each other like yeah, that. I, I barely even sing, you know, by myself. <laughs> it's just like, let's just get through this till we can talk to people again. It's kind of how I, I do. But I, I don't know. I always need somebody to play off of. I need I need to see that response and, yeah. and that type of thing. But yeah. I don't know. I, I when I listen when I first listened to your podcast, I'm like, is he sitting alone in a room? <laughs> like, he's just gonna do this, isn't he? This is really brave. <laughs> I, I really enjoy this. Oh man! <laughs> but yeah, and and uh, a lot of times in our podcast, if I'm going along on a roll and then I like blank or have this brain fart or something, Nate's there. He's I can got see it in his eyes. Say. It's like the same look that a deer gets right before you hit it. <laughs> it's, like, it's kind of that look that Sheldon will get. My biggest problem is that I get I get hung up on what I'm trying to say and I say things other than what I mean to say. It just gets very um, disjointed. And, and Sheldon will swoop in and say, I think where we're trying to go with this is... And tries tries to save the day. So there's definitely equal uh, equal line throwing out there to try to save the other person, for so sure. Do you get... Do you ever get stuck as you're going along? I mean, you have an outline, a place you're going, but even for people that speak regularly and they have a, oh, sure. a, an idea of where they're going, pastors will lock up on stage, you know, public speakers will get that where you'll lock up. Do you get the same thing at home? Yeah, oh, well, sure. Um, I mean, I'll get tongue-tied or, you know, stutter over a word or, you know, lose track or or like you say, rant sometimes, mm-hmm. and you realize eh, that's that's more than I needed to just go on about that, which is where the magic of editing comes in. Yes, and I can just you know, if I, you know, if I stumble over my words, I'll stop, go back to what I meant to say, do it again, and then just take that other part out. Occasionally, I will put in my notes. I'll I'll put it in bold, and this is where like, like if I'm quoting something like scripture or an article, or I just thought of something and I want to make sure to say it a very specific way, I'll put it there so that I can remind myself of Actually the words that I wanted thing, to yeah. say, like say it this way. Um, but for the most part, it's just an outline. Yeah. But yeah, do you that's do the magic a lot of, of editing. public speaking outside of the podcast? Um, yeah. I mean, church. Okay. So. And I you're a pastor or? I'm, I'm not presently assigned okay. anywhere, um, right. but I, I work with our church um, and, and uh, I'm up there. Pretty much every week, at least for for a couple of minutes here and there. So, cool. yeah, um, yeah. I meant to do this earlier, but give everybody your your educational background a little bit, kind of. I have one. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, which is different than me. Which is different than us. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so uh, in college, I double majored in religion and history, and I liked those things. And so when I went to seminary, they had a degree, a Master of Arts in Christian Thought and History. So I said, yeah, that's the one for me. <laughs> so, so I did that, which was a lot of fun. Um, 
I also picked it because it included writing a thesis, which the other uh, tracks did not do. And you intentionally I, chose, chose, I chose more writing. That. I, I did, but I ended up with this nice bound copy of my thesis in the end. And the title was so long, it didn't even fit on the spine, which was really cool. So what was your thesis? The nature of the intermediate state between death and resurrection in the theology of Wolfhart Pannenberg. Nice. Which does not fit on the spine. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, a discussion we have actually had before. The, I think we have. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'm. This is something I haven't thought at all about, and you've obviously done quite a bit of thinking. What are the cliff notes <laughs> of what we're dealing uh, okay. with there? So the the basic question is, what happens to me when I die? Like immediately yes. when I die. Like so, the, the ultimate Christian hope is resurrection. That at the end of time, whenever God decides it's time, yes, He will raise His people, and 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 you know we enter into that that kingdom. But what happens in the meantime? And the Bible is actually vague on that because that's not the point, mm -hmm. which means Christians have answered a lot of different things throughout time. So I focused in on uh, this one particular Isn't there a theologian. Passage that says to be absent from the bodies to be present with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what that means is still vague. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot even with, with that. My idea was when I leave my body, I'm going to be present <laughs> with God. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of answers that, that have gone on. And Wolfhart Pannenberg wa was, because he recently passed away, I mean, a couple of years ago, which means he now actually knows the answer to this question right, there perfectly. You go. Good, right. good, um, yeah. Or he doesn't until the resurrection, <laughs> depending on... Which still means he knows, Yeah, well, yeah, of. yeah. Um, and actually, and he even draws in, like, because uh, Pannenberg had done a lot with the relationship between science and, and religion anyway, and uh, he even brought some... Einsteinian concepts of physics and time and and how that can actually not provide the answer but help us have language for yeah. for that answer um, as to what the individual experience at death is is like so yeah lot, lots of answers all across the board and I just find that very interesting right yeah and the I mean the development of it biblically is is interesting too because you have different ways of speaking about it in the older portions of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. the newer, I mean, yeah, it's not new, but right. the newer portions of the Old Testament and then in the New Testament. And, and so what like the shapes concept those. of Sheol mm -hmm. and, and where, what that was. Yes. Yeah. And, so, and Abraham's bosom, mm -hmm. whatever yeah. that was. And yeah. So give, give just a couple of examples of what some of the, the, dominant prevailing theories are that, that are out there. Okay. Well, I mean, there's just sort of the general, I guess maybe just sort of the evangelical answer you hear all the time. You go to heaven. Yeah. When you I, die, you go to heaven. You go to heaven. And that's just the short answer. And, and the problem with that sometimes is that completely discounts resurrection at all. Um, like that, that's not talked about at all. And so you lose this substantive doctrine. Um, so substantive that Paul in first Corinthians says, to them, you know, if you don't understand this, then it messes up your theology of Christ. And if that's the case, then you're still in your sin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to, to be aware of this. So there's that. Um, that you know, there are ideas of um, soul sleep. Luther was a, a proponent of that, that basically death is like, like sleep. sleep. You're, you're not conscious of anything until the resurrection. And so it's like when you go to sleep at night, you don't, you're not aware of the eight hours that you're sleeping. It's just put your head on the pillow. Seems like a minute later sun is up and, and you're getting up and it, it's kind of like that. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and all of that gets into the questions of the nature of the soul, 
and all of that too, because that has an implication of the nature of the relationship between the body and the soul. Mm-hmm. So there's all of that. Um, of course, the Catholic uh, notion of purgatory mm-hmm. is is one solution. Um, the idea of a conscious intermediate state, which is not the same notion as purgatory, um, though a lot of people sometimes confuse the two. So like you mentioned, Abraham's bosom, yeah. um, that and, and paradise, those were phrases not about heaven where, where God resides, but the experience of those in Sheol on the positive side. So if you look at the earliest portions of the Old Testament, the language is just sort of, Sheol is synonymous with the grave. Good, bad, whoever, yeah. you're, you're all going into the grave. And it's not dissimilar from like the, the Greek representation of like Hades, where it's just where the dead go. Yes, although I think the use of Hades had some influence on the later Jewish thought because Hades implied a slightly conscious uh, yeah. experience, as where Sheol doesn't imply that. Uh, you know, the Old Testament says the dead do not praise God. Um, how you choose to take that, obviously some interpretive differences in, mm. in there, but the idea that that you're just, you're in the grave. And, and, and the language that's associated with that, I mean, just really points to, you're in the grave, that's where you are. Um, and in the earlier periods of Israel's history, like that's not even really their emphasis on what happens to me when I die. They're interested in what happens to my people, what happens to my family, what what will happen to my covenant community after I'm gone. You move into the exile, where all of that changes, and some of the questions change a little bit as well. Um, so they ask more of the the specific question: Well, what happens to me when I'm gone? When you yeah. have the Greek translation later with Hades, like I said, Hades. You know, the Greeks had this idea that you kind of existed as a shade, mm-hmm. and a kind of a ghostly sort of sense of yourself, right. not fully aware and conscious like you were before, but not unconscious either. And, and there's an argument to be made that that when you have the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they use the word Hades because it's the closest Greek equivalent. Is there a little bit of bleed over then into Jewish thinking of of what that that mm. concept meant yeah. at at the time? Um, and so then you have this idea in, in more towards the New Testament where, okay, everybody still goes to Sheol or Hades, but your experience of it is a little bit different depending on who you are. So mm-hmm. if you're among the righteous, then you will, you'll go to the good side or you'll experience it in a good way. And so you'll be there where Abraham is. So you can give Abraham your ancestor a hug, hence, you know, hence Abraham's bosom, or you'll be on the side where you get a little bit of a foretaste of, of what's to come with the separation from God and you, yeah. you know, you don't want that. Um, and, and so you can kind of see a, a change in the idea a yeah. little bit, but the ultimate goal is always resurrection yeah. that, that God will do something unique and significant at, at the end at resurrection, which implies by the way, that everything is in God's hands. Like there is no part of me that can do anything. There's no part of me that can continue apart from God saying, I'll put you back together. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think, a powerful idea. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely I definitely like that. I've I've heard Sheol and Abraham's bosom and some of those Old Testament words preached differently when it gets into the New Testament and how it was treated. Uh, the most interesting one of those was that when Jesus was crucified, he went and preached is that first peter that's what i was looking up over here first peter 3 19 to 20 is that it yeah um 
there's a lot of interesting interpretation on that one too. Like, okay. does he go there and, and proclaim the gospel to them there? Or is it a reference to those who have already died and the fact that this is applicable to them in terms of what God is doing? Yeah, it says... Again, you get into a lot of interpretive issues alive, there. He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And then it goes on to talk about the ark. Well, it's you get everybody in the boat, and you get them from the bad side to the good side. <laughs> yeah. Then you cross the river sticks. No, wait, wrong religion, wrong religion. Yes. Although, actually... When, when I, the ark was being built, only a few people were in it. Eight and all were saved through water, and this water symbolizes the baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at, God right, at God's right hand. So, yeah, I, I've heard it said there that when Jesus goes and proclaims the gospel to the souls that are in Sheol, that those, he's basically declaring the victory of the cross Mm -hmm. to those who had already placed their faith in a Messiah. But had not seen it. But had, there was no Messiah. It hadn't happened yet. And so as soon as the victory was won, that's immediately where he went, declared the victory, and when when he and when then they will rise when we will rise yeah. but that <coughs> in other words <coughs> other words until he had given that sacrifice the lord or god had not made him judge and ruler like mm. it says that it says that god has made the son the judge right and so until until he had gone through and actually completed his work on earth yeah. okay he became judge. He became the victorious Christ that we know today. Proclaim the the good news of that victory as judge mm. in Sheol, and started what started something different, which is why that is not talked about anymore. Now I don't know. That was one of the most interesting ones that I've heard, <laughs> and I'm like, huh. Well, we talk about that. There's there's a. I'm gonna throw out one of these fun seminary where it's proleptic nature. Yes. Uh, uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I just like it. <laughs> you like it. Uh, one of my professors used to describe, he said, imagine like you throw a, a pebble in the water and it just ripples out in all directions. Mm-hmm. That Christ is like that in the sense that it, it, it has implications for the future and implications for the past. And that's kind of what you're talking about, that you know these people pre-Christ still are accountable to Christ in, in the sense that he's, he's still Lord. Now, not in the sense that we expected them, you know, to all go say the sinner's prayer because, you know. They were still saved by faith. Right, right. right. Yeah. Which, you know, and, and, you know, people misunderstand the nature of the law in the Old Testament as well and assume that it's works-oriented. And so, like, if you could go back in time and, and ask an Old Testament Jew, hey, what saves you? And they would say, oh, well, my obedience to the law saves me. No, they understood they were saved because God is gracious. Yeah. Um, keeping the law is a response to God's mm-hmm. grace, and it, and it is a witness to God's grace that those who are in relationship with God, this is now how they live. Well, Jesus um, proves that strict obedience to the law is not what God was after right. in the whole... Uh, confrontation with the Pharisees over harvesting grain, mm-hmm. yeah. and he's like, uh, David wandered in there and took this, took the bread that was set aside for the priests, and uh, you guys were cool with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, and and it's, I don't know, I I I'm, 
I'm with you. Like the law was a law of love. This oh, was yeah. God saying these these are the ways to live, to yeah. please me, to honor me, to come out and be separate. But it was a response of love. Oh, and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't totally workspace for the people right. that understood it and placed their faith. Which is why I don't get it. I mean, I understand it at a simple level when people say, like, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they're so different. I just don't see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see a consistent, you know, because usually it means, well, God in the Old Testament, he's angry and he's judgmental. And the God of the New Testament, he's loving and forgiving. But God is loving and forgiving and graceful in the Old Testament. Yeah. And there is still uh, accountability and judgment in the New Testament. So yeah, I don't, you know, when people say yeah. that, I don't I don't see it. Well, and it's cherry picking. I mean, really, is what oh, that sure. comes down to is you're picking out sure. a particular thing. Or, you know, you're looking back at your at your you know, bitter fundamentalist dad who you're trying to get back at by saying something like that. And so, yeah, it, it, it's an oversimplification for certain, so without a doubt. Is there, uh, since you've talked a lot about dying and, and resurrection and all of that, um, rather than a soul sleep, is there any idea that we would come, when we depart from this earth, which is under the idea of time. Our concept of time is tied to our earthly experience. Mm-hmm. There's no indication that God experiences time in any way the same way that we do. And there's no indication that spirits themselves experience time in the same way that we do. Is that tied in at all to the thought that uh, thought pattern yeah. that you went down? Yeah. Like and if we depart our bodies, do we also exit out of a linear time? Well, not so much that we exit it into it's more about our perception of it so um well you know i mentioned he made use of einsteinian physics as, as a way of talking about the relationship between physicality and time and and so you know you look at a biblical view of eternity and it's not just that the just things just keep going it's in, in like a linear sense that it just keeps going but it is the fullness of all all time and so for god you know, like you said, not not seeing it in that linear way that we experience yeah. it. God can look at the experience of us right now, but it is also present to God what will for us yet yet become. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is it possible then to understand Paul's words that I'm dead, and from the experience of my body and everybody else who misses me and everybody else yet to come? it's a long time between now and the resurrection and my body is just there in the ground waiting. But in God's eternity, I am now present with him there as well. And so I am present with the Lord because eternity is no longer bound to that, that linear right. experience of it. Um, you know, that that's one way to read it. Um, I wish I could remember who it was who used this metaphor. I'm not going to remember the name of the person, but it was an interesting metaphor that um, we are, in a sense, they use the analogy of like a computer, that our hardware crashes, our software is downloaded into God's care, however you want to think about that in the image, and then at the resurrection, put back into refreshed hardware. Um, But being saved in God doesn't mean that the program is running, that the program is conscious, but it's safe there. Yeah. Which in the end, that's the thing for me. I'm safe in God's hands no matter what. What, you know, whichever way you choose to interpret these doctrines, whichever way you choose to interpret these passages, I'm safe in God's hands. And, right. And that's the important part to me. Whether I'm conscious in some state 
experiencing that or I'm unconscious and it just seems like I die and then the next instant it's the resurrection a million years later, I'm safe in God's hands. And mm-hmm. that ultimately that's the most important thing to me. Yeah. And there's not a lot of indication that there's a whole nother life that happens or anything significant that happens between the time you die and that eventual resurrection. You mean in terms of... Um, Biblically, theologically. When you like, say another life. Like... But not reincarnation what, what, what or anything, What your right? experience is, like, as, as oh, okay. far as, like, your conscious experience. So, like, your spirit like, continues on and is living in another place until yeah. the resurrection. Or I mean, roaming that, the earth, or... That's the one oh, that interests me. Ghosts. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I wouldn't... I'm not you, expecting to haunt, no. haunt my children or so, anything like okay. that when I die. This, this could be fun for everybody involved. What do you guys believe about ghosts? I don't. <laughs> I'm looking. I, I I'm mean, generally I looking for a more rational ex- explanation no. when somebody says, "You know, books are flying off the shelf in my house." I, I'm more inclined to say, "Then have somebody check your foundation." <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm fascinated. I've always been fascinated by the whole, you know, the ghost lore of, particularly the United States. Like there's there's a lot of it from Native American burial grounds to you know various battlefields uh, from the Civil War from the Revolution. Uh, because you know there there's there's a there's a uniqueness to America in that a lot of blood has been spilled all over it, um, and I know that's not unique. I don't know to that's the, not. Uh, but, <laughs> but, I, but I mean, but I mean in the sense that um, never mind. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I had a thing, but I'm just gonna let it go because it's 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 not gonna hold up like I wanted it to in my head. But either way, yeah, not unique, but but. But very true of America, anyway. Yes. Um, and so this idea of you know people being haunted or seeing specters of you now I'm not big I'm not big on the whole thing of like oh something's actually like afflicting me mm-hmm. you know uh, but the idea of seeing moments of seeing moments that have happened in history of seeing things play out that fascinates me. Um, I, I remember hearing a story about Gettysburg uh, that uh, some ladies went to get off of an elevator. In a in a building that was known to the found that that part of the the building actually existed during the Battle of Gettysburg and was and was a hospital, and when the elevator opened up, they literally saw a Civil War hospital scene happening like right before them. There were there were you know there were people that were having limbs amputated, the whole thing, and there was somebody that was there like trying to get them to come help. Then the doors closed, they opened them again, and it was gone. And so things like that fascinate me. This idea of being able to see a moment or see a... We talked about this just a little bit ago upstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but having these moments where you... It's like the veil of time somehow gets pulled back and you see these things as they were, as they might have been. So that idea of, of disembodiment kind of fascinates me. Um, I don't know what I believe about it other than I find it compelling for people to so adamantly believe that they have seen or experienced something and and not be willing to just let it go and be like, oh, yeah, I lied about that, or I'm just saying it for this, that, or the other. Or even the myriad of shows where you go around and you have, like, ghost whisperers or yeah. people mm-hmm. searching for, like, haunted things and all yeah. of that. That's, um, what, do, what do you, uh, what are the theological implications of, of people saying, I believe that this such and such thing is haunted? The theological implications of somebody saying it's haunted. <laughs> yes. Um, like, of say Christians start latching on to that idea of like, well, I'm not going there. It's haunted. I mean, we're we can be as prone to superstition as anyone else, right? And and, and I mean, that doesn't mean that the fear is not real. I mean, you walk into a place, and things are happening that are not supposed to happen. You know, whether it's things you're hearing, or or seeing, or things that you can't explain. 
I mean, that's going to create fear no matter what. Right. right. Um, so the, I mean, the emotion, the fear can be absolutely genuine. You know, again, I'm just more inclined to look for, for the rational explanation because there yeah. tends to be like, you know, you mentioned like the, the TV shows and stuff. What was the guy? He had the TV show. Um, I think South Park made fun of him one time. That's um, everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. So like I've, I've only ever seen one episode of South Park in my entire life and it was making fun of this guy and I can't remember his name now. The crossing over guy. The... I don't, he used to, like, he would have the show and he would be like, you know, I'm, I'm getting an, yeah, an something image Edwards. of something John Edwards. Edwards. John yeah. Because he had the yeah. name of the presidential candidate. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, he's like, I'm, I'm getting a sense of, of, uh, some, somebody with an M and like the first person who like, well, my grandmother was named Maud. Yes. Yes. Maud, Maud. It's a, <laughs> something about the money. Well, like, who doesn't have a thing with money? Yeah. It's like, you know, she left an inheritance or she was in debt or, yeah. you know, there, you can all, like, and oh, he would yeah, record yeah. for three hours for a half hour show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, they call it cold reading. Yeah. I mean, it's like you, you can convince, I mean, con men do it all the time. Like yeah. they throw out just enough for you to inadvertently give information right. and then they make it look like they already knew right. that information. Well, and it's, it's had an odd revival in a lot of charismatic circles as well, which is oh, really? interesting. Yeah. Because I've, I've been in rooms where, where they're basically cold reading a room, like, hey, I get the sense the Holy Spirit's telling me that there are people afflicted with this, this, and this. And then people stand up, and they'll get more specific going down the line. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, my thing with ghosts and all of that, I don't, I don't buy it because of what I believe about spirits. Like, yeah. I believe that it, it's a point unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. we don't get to have... The experience that they're talking about, wandering around. No leisure time. You, you on don't Earth. get to come back and haunt somebody because they did something bad to you. Yeah. Like I yeah, do I, believe yeah. in I do believe in demons. Yeah. In no in, in no way do I believe in in disembodied state where you can actually affect what's going on. Well, but doesn't the Bible say vengeance is mine, says the Lord, except when you're dead and then you can do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't that in then there? Then you can but, do it. Well, and <clears throat> particularly pointing to something, you know, I mean, something we hear about this all the time, but often don't think of, is uh, the, the classic story, Christmas Carol, where, where, where Marley talks about, yeah, I've been cursed to roam the earth and see all the things that I could have done or should have done, mm. but can't. He's not actually able to interact. He's given this one specific instance where he's told, go back and, and tell this man that he needs to mend his ways um, as, a, as basically a form of grace in that moment. Uh, but f- for his actual existence, he's cursed to roam the earth and witness the things that he can't share in. Well, and I it, think... it makes for a nice story. Yeah, but, but yeah. I'm saying that idea fascinates me. Well, I think in a sense, that's more biblical than the image that we see of like people in hell with you know lava and... and pitchforks and and all of that like right the idea that it is separation from god because you have you have said i i want none of this this is what i reject i don't want it god says all right you, you can have that for eternity you can be apart from me just realize you've never been in a world apart from me like, right even in your worst experience in life you still existed in a world where i was active right and you don't want to be near me um there was a movie with robin williams yeah. Uh, what dreams may come. What dreams may come. And mm-hmm. his his wife, they go to hell to find his wife, and she's in their house, but it's in hell. She's experiencing it. It's their house. It's falling apart. And she's like, if I remember, she's like just stuck in her own thoughts, and she's isolated and alone. And there's this sense that that's what you have chosen. Yeah. You have decided you put yourself through through your love of sin instead of God you have put yourself as the most important thing and if you're if that is what you want that is what you get so like with Jacob Marley like could there not be a sense that you have all of eternity to think about the things that you put in front of God yeah and now you wish you hadn't yeah and 
C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce talks about um, hell being a place where people just keep moving further and further and further away until mm-hmm. they're totally lost from communication. It's petty little differences that just keep <laughs> oh, pushing yeah. people further and further away. And it's like hell for C.S. Lewis was like the most petty place you could imagine. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And everybody was just, there's infinite space. You just get keep moving out further and further and, and eventually you're alone in, in a desolate wilderness. And it's, that, that was his concept of hell. I, if you read the story of the rich man and Lazarus in the gospels where he, the, the poor man, Lazarus is mistreated by the rich man. The rich man, uh, dies and then says, why don't you send somebody like he's, he's in extreme torment Mm -hmm. and he's suffering and ask, uh, who, who was it? Who did he ask? He asked Lazarus if Lazarus. Could. Oh, Lazarus was on the other side. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. I had my brain St. Peter and I'm like, nope, nope, yeah. that <laughs> no. would have not been <laughs> no, right. That was the thing. He's not still there yeah. alive. Yeah. And I'm like, anyway, you have Lazarus over there. He's like, can Lazarus come over and give me a, just a drop of water to cool my tongue. And then he has this conversation basically saying, can I send somebody back to warn my brothers? And it's basically, no, they have the law. They have the prophets. If they didn't believe them, then what more can you do? What more can you do? We're as clear about this as possible. And it's like, no, you don't get the opportunity. Once you're on the other side, you don't get the the other side of death. You don't get the opportunity to come back and warn anyone, pass a message to anyone. You don't get the, you don't get to afflict them. You don't get to haunt them. Uh, Yeah. Satan has a wide berth of things that he's allowed to do on this earth. Um, so my idea is that a lot of this stuff is connected to demonic activity in some ways and to just imaginations of people sure. and, yeah. and the influence of fear on, on the other side. Yeah, like fear, totally. If you get somebody worked up enough into a state of fear oh, yeah. their and mind can do flash all kinds a of light things. in their face, they'll tell you they saw just about anything. Oh, and that's yeah. the thing for me. I'm not saying that I believe these particular things. I'm saying they fascinate me. Like yeah. I will spend oh, sure. lots of time looking at people's stories, looking at their their accounts of these things happening. Um, because they do. They just fascinate me. The idea of whatever causes it, the idea that people have had these experiences just absolutely fascinates me. And again, I often look to the, the, the whole thing of... Uh, and we've talked about this, but Samuel uh, turning up with the mm-hmm. Witch of Endor and how that was a surprise to her <laughs> when it happened, but it did happen, uh, clearly. Um, and so, you know, what that even implies. And again, he does make some reference to like, oh, like sure. why have you woken me up? Like, this isn't the resurrection. Why am I here? Um, and so there's that. I've, I've always picked, pictured him kind of Yoda-like in the, you know, I'm wondering, why are you here? You know, one of those moments. Yeah, but Yoda, Yoda's not supposed to be on Endor. No, no, yeah, he's not. He's not on the, Endor. the little fuzzy things that's are. That's right. Oh, man. Ewoks. The Ewoks, yes. <laughs> anyway, but that's totally right. I mean, but there that, we are, yeah. That is kind of fascinating that the whole Samuel thing always kind of bothered me, though, because it's the one time where you see somebody coming back. Yeah. You see that experience and then the Mount of Transfiguration. Right. There's nowhere else. And uh, that I can think of of somebody coming back and standing on the earth in biblical yeah. time. So I was wondering, I from your reading of the Mount of Transfiguration, <coughs> did I don't think there's any indication that Moses and Elijah <coughs> were aware of the disciples. Okay. That they they were they were there with Jesus. They were aware of him, and it seems like they were together. But it's not like Moses and Elijah were passing messages to anybody. 
Sure. And Peter says, let's build one tabernacle for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. And yet there's, they're not saying, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, right? Right. Like, I've always kind of thought of that as being, they are like in, in, a, in that eternity that you're describing, mm-hmm. that, uh, that eternity of heaven with Jesus, that presence, being present with God for eternity. They're in that in like a bubble. Kind of, and and oh, yeah. Jesus is there with them, and they're glorified, including Jesus. But the disciples can see it, yeah. but there's no indication that they can see out. And this goes back to the great cloud of witnesses that people talk about, because people, I'm I'm trying to dig at what Christians what Christians say out of their mouths and what they actually believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you believe in a great cloud of witnesses. And that is everyone that has gone on before is able to just like peel back the clouds. (laughs) How how close are they? I don't know. Like, can they see (laughs) Africa, Asia, everybody all at once? Are they zoomed in just on us? Um, Like those little globes you used to have where you had that little spyglass where if you put it over the thing, you could look uh, inside of it and see a city. Yeah. And anyway, people will talk about this great cloud of witnesses and as if they're people that have died, that have gone on before. And now they're looking in and they're actively cheering for us, rooting for us. Or because I'm like, okay, there's no more crying once we're there. And some of the ways we behave would surely (laughs) displease these people to the point that it would bring them sadness. If if they could look at the world, there'd be profanity in heaven. All the things that you can see. No doubt. Um, Although, I mean, there is in the Bible, but we just translate it out. Right. That's (laughs) That's right. Um, But so... Uh, you know, you mentioned the great cloud of what witnesses. What a fun discussion that is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, there's some interesting stuff in there. Ezekiel is is not polite no. at times. No, no. Um, but no, like the great, 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 see, this is something great I would edit out. Great cloud of witnesses. Um, oh, who was it? Okay, I think it was Yaroslav Pelikan who has the most tremendously perfect name that to say. That is a great yeah. name. Um, I want to say it was him who said... Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Mm. So if you're just stuck in tradition doing things because that's the way you've already always done it, then your faith is dead. But if at the same time you do things out of tradition and you know why you're doing it and you do it um, in concert with those who have come before you, what the dead have done is still vibrant and meaningful in the present. Mm. And so I would look at the great cloud huh. of witnesses and say, the testimony of those who have come before us still has bearing on the present. You know, we still read the works of John Wesley, at least in our denomination, yeah. um, because what he said, what he wrote, had substance and it had meaning and it has carried us through and it has stood the test of time. Um, and, and, you know, all of them, I mean... John Calvin, Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, all of them, their testimony in the past still rings true to us in the present yeah. and still is still used by the Spirit. I mean, I had, a, I had a friend in college who was using the Book of Common Prayer for his devotions, and somebody told him, you, you can't use that. The Spirit, that's so old. The Spirit's not going to work through that. And he was like, what? so like there's an expiration date on the things the Spirit has done? Like it was good enough for them now, and it's not good enough for that's us today? That's a weird today. form of cessationism. Yeah. Really <laughs> oh, that's is. horrible. Um so he he gave them, a, a, if I recall, a rather sarcastic response, and we, you know, we approved. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It is interesting, though. I was thinking about it while you were mentioning it, um, the idea of, of uh, Samuel, when you'd said, you know, 
that that's kind of bothered you or whatever. Yeah, it but always if has you think kind about of it though, he he didn't give Saul any new information. He didn't say something that was going to set him on a new path. He's like, no, you're going to burn. Like that's basically like your your line's going to be stamped out. Just reminding you what I told you back then. Same thing's true. This is this is happening. So it was the same word. Same, I guess I same never word. quite put that together. I mean, maybe it had a little more detail in it, but it wasn't. Well, and I would look at both that and what you were were mentioning with the transfiguration. Like the theological purpose of both of those passages is not to say, now let's give this explication on what what it is and how you can access the dead and what yeah. this means. Like there's a theological meaning apart from from all of that. Um, and so, like you're saying with with Samuel, it's not. You know, now let's let's explain how and why one might be able to contact the dead and what the theological. No, it's just this is not how the world is supposed to be, and right. you have committed a grave sin by wanting to do this. Yeah, right. Yeah, huh? Because there's that that type of divination that fascinates fascinates people. Like, I wish I could talk to the dead. I wish I could do that, and it's forbidden throughout Scripture, mm-hmm. and it works that one time, and it's like. <laughs> this is definitely not anything that you should have done and you're going to die. <laughs> I mean, and I'm like, okay, that's pretty clear as far as, as, as far as from our side, but is, is believing in a great cloud of witnesses or that they can see us, that they can actively see us and, and kind of interact and we can somehow pass a message to them or... Well, I mean, like, that's where the Catholic like praying prayer to the, to the saints would yeah. be. You know, this, we, we believe that this person has achieved uh, through their life the, the presence of God, and we can trust that they're there, so they will pass the message on on for us because we trust that this person is there. Our, our other believers may not, you know, they may still be in purgatory, but this person is a saint. We know that they are, and so we'll, we'll ask them to intercede for us. Yeah. So that, I mean, that doctrine does sort of imply some of what you're talking about. Yeah, I guess that's probably where we get it, where we think that, we can still pray to the dead and pass mm-hmm. a message to them. And then it's not too big of a leap to go, well, they could probably pass a message to us if they wanted to, but I've never... Well, but I'm, like, what what would their message be today? Like, you know, tell me, how did Breaking Bad end? You no, know? It's, like, it's, <laughs> all these, it's all these ghost stories. That's what I'm talking about. Like, the yeah, ghost stories yeah. of somebody coming and saying, you know, an ancestor yeah. or... Uh, some historical figure coming back and giving yeah. you... The funny thing is, ghost stories aren't good stories. <laughs> they're good stories in the sense that they're an interesting moment. They're an interesting experience. But the only ghost stories that make any money in, in, in pop culture are scary ones. Mm-hmm. I've never heard a positive ghost story that was like, yeah, this is great. This is really cool. Casper like, the Friendly Ghost? Yeah, but even that has, <laughs> has elements that are meant to scare the children that go right. to see it. So, I mean, there's, there is an interestingness to that, that there's, there, is, there is still a, even in, lore, even in the lore of it, mm-hmm. there are not positives to an encounter with the dead, almost exclusively. That would make sense. I mean, yeah, I when you really think about think. it, it's, it's, it's not really, or if there is a positive and you got what you wanted, that it ends up going horribly bad for you later. Because I knew somebody who said, um, that their house, they had a picture of like their great grandmother or something, and it was like on the mantle. And every time it fell off, they would get a call that day that a family member had died. So yeah, it wasn't wasn't a positive thing. Yeah, it wasn't like every time the picture falls, you know, you We're have a relative who won the lottery. Won the lottery. Yeah. Won the lottery. <laughs> um, no, it was it was a sad thing. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's even an interesting thing. It seems like any 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 type of of delving that we do into that realm. 
usually doesn't end well for the living one way or the other. But death is a sad topic anyway, so you yeah. kind of expect it to yeah. to be associated with sad and yeah. unfortunate things. Now, the one thing, the one thing that I did hear uh, in my training for ministry that I've been a part of, I, I really like the idea that every, uh, one of the professors said that every, uh, how, what is the service called? Why am I blanking? Every memorial service, every uh, funeral is an opportunity to preach the resurrection of Christ. Yes. And I yes. love that. It's like every funeral is an Easter message. Yes. And it's like we as Christians have the hope of resurrection, and that's why we don't mourn like others do. We have an enduring eternal hope yeah. that not everyone has. So that that is something that we can continue to hang on to, and it makes, makes a lot of difference, not just in those moments, but it should make a lot of difference in how we think about those who have gone on and how mm. we think about oh, eternity. Yeah. We should have a greater hope and not diminish it by saying, you know, it's going to, I'm going to have this time where I'm, I'm going to perhaps go through torment or torture or be weighed down by the concerns of the people that have not died yet or like all of this. No, it's a great hope. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it, Okay, so you mentioned the funerals. Right. Um, Nate, you'll remember from, from our grandfather's funeral, I'm a crier. Mm -hmm, I mean, yeah. I, your dad asked me to read some scripture, and I could barely get mm -hmm. through it. Um, and and that it was that conflicted feeling because, I mean, our grandfather was mm -hmm. a, a wonderful example yeah. of a man who remained faithful to Christ his entire life. Yeah. And, and, I mean, no doubt at all. But I was, a, I was sad because... A man like that is no longer in my life. Right. I, I mean, and just, <laughs> just what a tremendous man he was. And so when I got up there and I had to read from Paul, you know, death, where is your victory? In that moment, in my grief, I didn't feel victory. Right. But I knew that there was. And so right. in the back of my mind, I'm saying those words with defiance. Yeah. Death, where? It, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know right now you make me feel horrible. Where is your victory? Yeah. And then, and then you said, Nate, you sang um, It Is Well. Mm -hmm. It's one of those songs you've heard a thousand times yeah. if you're in the church. I have never heard that song the same way since. Yeah. Because I always think of, of that funeral and how through the tears, I'm singing with you, It Is Well. And I meant it. I mean, yes. I'm sad. I can barely see, I mean, my contacts the rest of that day were horrible, um, but I absolutely meant it. It is well with my soul, even now, as I have lost someone so dear to me. Yeah. And I've never heard that song the same way since, yeah. and every time I hear about it, I think about, about it that way, which is very fitting given the context of how that song was created. But, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it really is well. Yeah. And, yeah, there's, and it, it is a celebration of resurrection, even though I have personally lost something. Yeah. It is well. There's yeah. there's a there's a song, and I think I've referenced it on here before, but I don't care because I love it so much, but uh, there's an Andre Crouch song called God Still Loves Me uh, that, that was on one of his later albums in life. And uh, there's, at the beginning of the song, the first verse is, when I was a child, I sang a song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. That was years ago, and now I'm grown. Yes, Jesus loves me. And then the second verse, after talking about how life has changed and, mm. and how he's getting older and how, you know, and he, and he talks about the, the worries of basically life weighing down on him and, and, and the devil trying to take him down. And he said, 
And there's a line where he goes, but lingering in my ear, that melody, referencing back to Yes, Jesus Loved Me, that mm-hmm. melody I still hear, and it soothes my doubts and calms my fears. And I think of Grandpa Norris every time I, every time I hear that line. I think of my Grandpa Ward as well. But just that idea of watching them walk toward death just as faithfully as mm-hmm. they walk toward Christ in life. Like, nothing changed even in those final hours of, of, of seeing them, and even in suffering, even in, 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 in losing their ability. I mean, that just never wavered. And, oh, yeah. uh, and, and that's the hope that gives me hope. That's the cloud of witness type right. thing that mm-hmm. I look at, and I'm like, with faith like that, with the things that I've seen, with the, the things that I've experienced other people experiencing, I can't, I can't deny the things that I've seen and heard. Yeah, his oh, witness yeah. still speaks to you. Without a doubt, Absolutely. daily. Yes, daily. Absolutely. And uh, and so I think that there is there is that aspect of the, the cloud of witnesses of of it being the faith of those that have gone before and and standing on the faith of those that have gone before, knowing mm-hmm. that that they held fast and held true all the way to the end, um, regardless. And and yeah. Do you think that uh, just segueing a little bit, but um, when you talk about end of life things, people uh, have especially today, are trying to avoid end of life. And that's always been the fountain of youth thing that people mm-hmm. have pursued for years and years. Like, can we extend our life past the 120 years that it seems like we've been given? Oh, and, I, and yeah, now like, you're getting back into my, my topic here. <laughs> right. And I, I'm going to lean back into that a little bit because that's some people's hope. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you, you listen to like uh, Elon Musk or some of these other guys that are deep into technology. They're like, hoping by the time they die that there will be a, an ability to extend their life past oh, what yeah. they're... Like, they just want to be able to push off that inevitable... You hear a lot of surprisingly religious-sounding language in some yes. of that. And yeah. especially in the transhumanist movement, this idea that you know we'll change ourselves and we'll, we'll continue to live in one form or another. Um, there are Christian transhumanists, and, and they deal with... The, the ramifications and implications of all of that. But then there are secular transhumanists. And, and I think it might even be the, the transhumanist, I forget if it's a society organization, whatever on their website, like they have a section dealing with religion because they're aware of how that kind of carries over. Um, but that does tend to be one of the criticisms is that you're still trying to answer the same questions. The rest of us are, but some people are looking to God. Some people are looking to legacy. You're looking to technology um, and, and, I, and I do think there, I think the human lifespan is going to drastically increase within our lifetime. Um, how, how and, far do you think it's realistic to think that we can push it? I don't know. I, you know, I hear all these different things and I mean, I want to be excited and optimistic about the best of the, the, um, solutions that are out there. Um, but even then it gets into like, what really counts as you continuing, like, so if I replace every part of my body with a machine, is it still me? You know, that sort of a thing. But in terms of like the medical stuff, you know, we have a better understanding now of what causes aging and, and can we reverse that, what that could mean. Um, I think I remember, I think I mentioned it in one of the episodes that by 2030, they say the average lifespan will be 90 as wow. where right now it's late 70s. Yeah. So that's Which our grandma just turned 90. Today. Yeah. Yeah. We had a whole shindig, which is why you're here. Yes. We had a whole average lifespan will be 90. 90. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Aubrey de Grey, who, who works in that field of radical life extension, he describes <coughs> it as escape velocity. Hmm. Like, so like a jet only has to go fast or a rocket you know, only has to go fast enough 
just to be able to break through huh. that gravity. And so it's not like we have to, the very first time, create the solution that lets us live a million years. Yeah. We just have to find something that'll extend us for the next 10 years. And within that 10 years, we find the next thing that'll get us the next 20. And within that 20, the next 30. And so you just keep... Keep building Keep on progressing. It. Yeah. Um, That's a weird hope to have. Well, yeah. the oddity of that is the theological implications of that and the moral implications of that because, and we've talked about it, some of you talked about it yep. some on your podcast, of if you can extend life indefinitely, does it become sinful to say, I'm done extending my life indefinitely and mm-hmm. I want to die now? And making yeah. the choice to actually... Kind of like pulling life support. Yeah. When life support is the only thing that keeps you going. Right. But yet, it's not as rudimentary is that like right. you're still existing you're still having an impact in the world you're not just essentially in a vegetative state mm-hmm. i'm one that tends to in I, terms of life extension i'm one that tends towards the idea more of uh <coughs> the possibility of that being more from like an immersive state of of uh of uh virtual reality so like a matrix style immersive state where your brain can remain active even if your body has essentially shut down so you can you can keep your body maintaining and running just enough to keep your brain active and in this immersive space you exist and you Mm -hmm. have an impact on society and you even maybe even still have a job still have a function um but no longer draw the same kind of resources and are physically in the world so like literally it'd be like you know we say if this had existed and our grandpa had had been in that state. It's like, well, we're all going to go visit grandpa. Let's all plug in and go see grandpa. Like it would literally be that kind of thing. I feel like that's almost more plausible sometimes than the idea of. So are you talking like a simulation of the individual or a transfer of the individual? A simulation of the individual. Okay. Well, a a simulation of the individual. um, But that the individual's consciousness is actually attached to. Okay. So then you're talking about a transition. Except the mind is still with the body. I'm not talking about a step. I'm saying, Keep the mind alive, okay. even if the body is shutting down. Okay. Keep the mind alive, keep the mind active, and give it the stimuli and allow it to exist in this space with a virtual self. So somebody's in a coma, but right, but connected to a computer. Right. I could physically experience. go see where their whatever their body is in the current condition of. I can go see that, but that's not them. They're inside of this mm. simulation. That's <laughs> the one that fascinates me the most that well, I've heard about. And, and that gets into so many of these issues of like. Do we fully understand the brain, the functions of the brain? Right. Even the things we think we understand, do we fully understand? And are we talking about a really good copy or a continuation? Mm-hmm. And, and what would that even mean? So, like, I'm trying to remember. I, I remember reading somewhere that somebody was talking about if, if you were told, hey, we'll plug you into this computer and you'll exist forever in this computer, or even transferred to a new body of some sort, clone, whatever, um, and you watch the person ahead of you go in, and they sit in this chair, and they get their mind transferred, and then their, the old body that was there is incinerated. You'd think twice about getting in that seat. Because <laughs> no. all of a sudden you're like, okay, hold on, what if that's not really me that gets transferred? What if it's just a really good copy? Right. Like, I don't want to voluntarily die and be incinerated so that a good copy of me can continue, but it's not really me. Right. The other idea is, well... And um, Ray Kurzweil, who's a futurist who talks about a lot of this, he he advocates sort of this idea that you just kind of do things gradually. You know, like you replace a part and you replace a part and you supplement your brain with whatever advances in in computers we have and you do that. And little by little, you just become more and more computer. And so there's not like this nice clean break mm-hmm. where here you were biological and here you're mechanical it's just this gradual progression. And so 
do you even know where, if it is a, a hard break, where in that process did the break happen? Yeah. Now, that doesn't make the questions go away. Right. It just makes it harder to answer. Right. I'm not convinced that any of that is actually going to happen. <laughs> Mostly because in the, doesn't, in the Bible somewhere it lays down that man is limited to 120 years. That's um, in the Old Testament, That right? is in there. The question is, what does that mean? Part and, not, of, and not only that, but, but then it goes on to talk about people who lived beyond that, right. even after that declaration is made. So part of it is but that the time see, before Noah... You can see Noah. the ages going down and down yeah. and down until it's right at 120 years, and then nobody pretty much makes it out past that as far as we can Unless tell. Unless those ages are figurative based in ancient numerology, which people are uncomfortable with the idea that numerology would play into the Old Testament mind, but... In the no, ancient I'm, way of I'm communicating, fine with it's there not, not that, being a guy yeah. that lived nine okay. nine hundred and some odd years. So I'm fine with that idea because that's just one interpretation. Obviously, there's there's a lot of them, but yeah, but that's everything in the Bible. You know, there's 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 room for disagreement on a lot of things. But there's also been no good evidence of someone that's lived past 120 years, as far as right. we can tell. Right. right, and and all the ones that they point to today that they say. Oh, she was 121 or so. There's always a question as to when they were born. When they were born, and or they come from like the mountains and of it's Nepal. Only and nobody get, knows how old yeah, they actually yeah. are. They're it's actually only, 20, but yeah. you know, <laughs> it's it only going to get. They were just in the wind for too long, you mm-hmm. know. As we have better birth certificates and and more people are born in hospitals and less out in the middle of nowhere, you know, you have a better way of tracking it. And I think it's going to become more and more obvious that nobody's breaking this 120 your barrier. Unless they and do. I, <laughs> I would be super skeptical. I, <laughs> so, I just don't, I honestly don't see it happening in my lifetime. And I would be super surprised if it ever happened. Like, I don't know if I have. All right. Well, in 120 years, we'll meet somewhere and we'll decide. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be alive. <laughs> so one of the things that I, I, I want to be able to do interviews. I haven't done any interviews on, on my podcast, but You're someday I'd like to. Well, yes, I'm about to. Um, <laughs> But I would love to interview somebody who does, um, I don't know if the term is geriatric psychology or, or whatever, because my thought is, you know, so like you're saying, you, you don't expect to live that long, no. but let's say it comes to pass. Right. You've lived your entire life expecting that you will be lucky if you make it to 120, and now everybody's living past 120. Or, or even more, you've lost friends, you've lost loved ones because that's what happens. But your grandkids, they've grown up in a world where that just doesn't happen. Nobody dies of old age. Like, what would be the psychological ramifications mm-hmm. and the distinctions between somebody who grows up in that world and somebody like us who grew up in a world where death was just a part of life and then now it's not? What does that do to us, like our relationships to each other or like in our minds to ourselves? Like, you know, if we can refresh the body and all of these things, what do you do if, you know, you're 90 and then something comes along technologically that allows you to refresh your body and you just keep living and you weren't expecting yeah, to. What does that you, do to your mind? Yeah. Well, and especially if you get, man, and I always wonder that in the sense that you wonder, you what certainly would, wouldn't be able to remember <laughs> as well. I don't think. Uh, yes. Yeah, stuff would be really far yeah. in the past at that yeah. point. But, but you have to wonder too, like, you know, everybody always talks about, you know, what's that old, that old adage, you know, youth is wasted on the young. And the idea of, of getting to 90, getting to a true 90, but then being able to actually restore your body over a process of years to put you back at like 40 mm-hmm. in a physical sense. What that would do 
Yeah, what that would do to you. I remember that's that's one of the things that's so interesting in that. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Bicentennial Man. Yeah. It's one of the random offshoots of, of Robin Williams, but it's a really good story. It's 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 pretty fascinating, pretty good. But there's uh, there's a, a woman that he's been... <coughs> ah, there's a whole lot of story. But anyway, a woman who has been, you know, doing the very thing you're talking about, replacing organs and things with mechanical things that are allowing her to look... She looks like she's in her 50s and she's about to be like 75 or 80, like she's, get, she's having a milestone birthday. And, and he says to her, well, you know, you, you, don't, you don't feel like you're, she says, I don't feel like I'm 50. And he said, well, your body does. And she's like, yeah, but I don't. Like, I, I know that I'm older than that. I feel older than that. And you have to wonder, would the body just hit a point where, or the mind hit a point where it's like, no, like I don't want to do this. I don't want to mm-hmm. go back and do this. Mm-hmm. No matter what the body is telling the mind. It, that's an interesting. It's an interesting concept. You look like you're 20, but you're yelling at kids to get off your lawn. <laughs> that's been most of my life since I've been 21. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, well, well, that that was great discussion. We didn't know where we were gonna go. No, but I, 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 I really like it. We just stayed on your thesis, and that was. Good. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, as as one who has a uh, a more scripted outline show, I really like this. Just go wherever it goes kind of format. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So where can we find you, Ross? Across the table. No. <laughs> uh, where can our <laughs> listeners find you? Um, well, I mean, just about any place you can find podcasts. But um, the uh, information, if you're looking on social media, is uh, at SGST Podcast. That's for Twitter and Facebook. Um, probably the best way. Um, or at, or <laughs> no at symbol. Uh, singularitysaints.podbean.com if you want to find show notes and that sort of a thing there and just listen there. Yeah, and we give out our things at the end, but we're available almost anywhere you can find podcasts. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, we say... SoundCloud and iTunes, but I think there's a lot more that we're available. I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to amend that. Yep. And we're getting more active on social (laughs) media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, So there you go. All right. Well, guys, thanks for listening as always, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.